Welcome to the Entrepreneur's MBA, bringing you lessons from real-life entrepreneurs they don't teach in business school. Here's your host, business coach and marketing strategist, Adam Kipnis. For most of us, being in jail, being in prison, the criminal justice system is foreign to us, right? It's not something we've ever dealt with, and it's just an entirely different world. That said, it's something that is entirely part of our world, and we just don't know it yet. Until you learn what you're about to learn about how we imprison ourselves in our own minds, in our own worlds, you haven't learned anything yet. I think you, I don't even know how to do this justice as an intro. I'm gonna let my guests talk about that and help you understand what that means in terms of imprisoning our minds, imprisoning ourselves. This is Adam Kipnis, host of the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast. I appreciate you all listening today. This is a fascinating episode, a fascinating person that I think you're gonna learn a lot from in terms of how your business is being held hostage by you. Um, as always, we're brought to you by uh, powertexting.com and live on C-Suite Radio. Powertexting.com is a great platform to help you stay in touch with your prospects and clients. And they give away a free hotel stay, four and five star hotels in 17 cities around the world. One listener will win a free trip from powertexting.com. So stay tuned in a little bit for more information on how to win that trip. As a business and marketing coach, my job is to find you more revenue in your business through proper planning, proper strategy, and proper tactics. Uh, download my free book at freebookfromadam.com. It is eight steps to make more money in your business without spending money on advertising. It's step-by-step, -step, really easy to understand and really easy to implement. So go grab that if what you need is more revenue today. But let's jump to learning more about what we do to ourselves and how we should be thinking about our business and the challenges we implement for ourselves that stop us from doing what we do. My guest today grew up in a tough neighborhood in St. Louis. He uh, was in and out of um, juvenile detention, sometimes big things, sometimes little things, but that ended him in prison for seven years. In prison is where he really found his true purpose, his true calling in life. After prison, he went on to start six different companies, start a family, has amazing children, and now speaks all over the country, helping at-risk youth, business owners, and everybody else learn more about themselves from his experiences. Ghazi Mohammed, thanks for joining today and telling your story. I really appreciate you being here because uh, this will be really important for people to hear. Oh, thank you, Adam. I appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity to be here, man. You're a great guy. <laughs> See, just take that down, everyone out there. Uh, Ghazi and I know each other and I've gotten to know each other actually very well, just in a short span of time. And I needed to have him on because the message he has is huge and he, and he speaks it from stage. And now we're going to break it down into a personal conversation. So Ghazi, you don't have to go into the intricacies of growing up where you grew up, but you went to prison and your life changed for the better because of it versus the worst because of it. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience and that sort of transformation slash epiphany that you had? Right. 
Well, I, I, I think it changed better because when I was younger, um, like you said in the intro, you know, I had a lot of ups and downs in my life. However, I did encounter people who planted seeds in my mind, positive seeds. And had not them seeds been in my mind when I went to prison, there would have been nothing to cultivate, you know, nothing to take root. And um, I think oftentimes, I, I was just talking to an elderly guy yesterday, and he was talking about young people, how young people do not listen, how they're disrespectful to elders, they're very uh, um, aggressive and violent, and um, that they shouldn't be talked to. And I told him, I said, well, the, pr the problem is that I look at my job like I'm a farmer because that's what happened to me. Somebody was a gardener. They just planted the seed. And sometimes people who plant seeds, what they want to do is they want to control the rain. They want to control the sun. They want to make sure it grows at this speed, at this time. But that's not our job. If you plant the seeds properly, which proper seeds are planted in my head, even though I didn't listen at the time, I was still hard-headed. I was in the streets. I was thugging. I was crazy. I was very delinquent. I didn't listen at the time, but somebody planted a seed in my head that, that, that I couldn't even see. But like all seeds, they grow in the dark. It was growing. And I, didn't, I had no clue it was growing. And like all seeds, it grew in the dirt. I was in a dirty environment, and it was growing. It was taking root. So when I went to prison, and I started reading books, and I started listening and just thinking about life because, you know, you're in prison. All you got to do is think. Ain't nothing too much you can do. I can't go to a party. Uh, <laughs> right. You know, uh, none of that kind of stuff, you know. And um, those seeds really be 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 began to take root in my own mind. And, you know, um, the, I, I read a lot of books and all kinds of books, economics, psychology, sociology, politics, religion, everything I got my hands on. And it, it just began to water them seeds. And I'm like, I'm, I'm very grateful to the people. Some of them have passed on, you know. They don't know what kind of person that I have become because they planted seeds in my mind. So I, so I look at myself like I'm a seed planter. I talk to young people, I just plant seeds. You know, from a good place, from a good heart, a heart of love, I plant seeds. And I know that they may not listen right now, but if they survive, then at some point, them seeds will take root. It's an interesting perspective that it's not about today. It's about the th little bits building on top of each other. But in the environment you were in, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I'll ask you. It, were people fostering this while you were in prison or is this something you had to think about internally and when you had time by yourself and you were thinking, I want to do this. It doesn't seem like an environment where everybody was sort of joining together, you know, you know, for a giant mastermind. It was well, actually, it, actually like, like, man, surprisingly, it, it really was though. Really? You know, so I was a youngster. I was a teenager. So I went to, to prison from high school. I was a teenager. I was still in, uh, uh, in high school, a high school junior. And, um, I was at the time I was one of the youngest, um, black black prisoners that was under 21 years old that was in maximum security prison in Missouri. So most of us was in juvenile facilities, but I was in maximum security with people with 400 years life and 50 years without parole. Like these guys had all day. And so what happened was some of the older guys who was locked up, they literally looked at me. I was a youngster. I love to read. And they really like took me up under their wings, so to speak. And they would tell me this right here. Like I remember a couple guys who, They've been killed on death row since then. A um, couple of them, you know, they've been um, killed on death row, and some of them just died in prison recently. But when I was a teenager, they would tell me, man, we've been in here, some of them was locked up before I was even born. I mean, literally, from the 60s and 70s. And they would say, we would never have an opportunity to get out and put to, put to use what we've learned since we've been in prison, um, all the things, all the information that we've amassed, 
we won't be able to put it to use. But they would say, but you got an opportunity. You're going to be out in four, five, six, seven years. You got an opportunity. So they literally poured in, into me. They gave me books. And sometimes I reluctantly read. I wanted to go play handball. And, you know, go do. I had friends that was in that. I didn't, do, I, I didn't hang out with friends that I grew up with. I started reading these books, and I became, like, like really, um, it became like an addiction to me. I loved it because it took my mind about a prison. You know, yep. I, I was always in some other country. I was always in some other place. I was always doing something. So for me, it helped me maintain my sanity. But them guys, it, it really was like a mastermind. Them, them older guys really took me, and it was a blessing for me because everybody, everybody didn't get treated like that. It, it was a lot of violence in there. I've seen a lot of violence that, that should typical thing that goes on in prison, the most horrific experience that I've seen, I, 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 I've witnessed. But for me, it just wasn't like that. I don't know if like God's hand was on me. It was just a blessing. But these old, these older guys really took me into like a little mastermind and they made me like study this, read this, read that. And sometimes I'm reluctant. I'm like, I don't feel like reading today, man. <laughs> well, you had mentioned to us the other day when you spoke to us that when, when you got out, it was seeing the violence and seeing the, the, you know, the thug life was, that was easy. Being out was hard. Yes. Yeah. Right. And, and those of us who, you know, live our lives, you know, in, in America, good, bad, or otherwise, we're still more fortunate than 80 or 90% of most of the world. And, but you, you've seen both sides and you said it's almost harder on this side than it was on that side. Yeah. What can you translate that for the for the, those of us who obviously don't know? Can, can you translate a little bit about why? Why is it easier where you were in prison than it is when you got out and now you had to figure things out? Right. Okay. So 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 let me give you a backdrop to that. So during that time, I spent forty eight months total in solitary confinement, was transferred to seven different prisons. And um, I was always being transferred because I still was young. I still was like buck wild, so to speak, though I was reading a lot. And um, in there, I literally found my sanity and my humanity in solitude. And as long as I got a book, I was good. I was just reading something, you know. As long as I can read, I was good. I, it can be a Western book, any kind of book. As long as I was reading, it took my mind about that. It was easy for me to cope with that environment because my mind was not in that environment, right? But when I came home, it was more different, and in that environment, I mean, I seen the stabbings, I seen murders, I seen, I mean, I know people who've gotten raped. I've seen the most violent, horrific acts, and um, got mazed by guards. You know, myself being a part of things or in the wrong place, wrong time sometimes. And then, um, but coming home, it was rough because I came home with an idea for many years that. I'm not qualified enough. I'm not worthy enough. I'm not educated enough, you know, because I I, I dropped out of school. I went to prison from high school, so I, I, I didn't have a high school diploma. I didn't go to college. Um, I read thousands of books. But I didn't know what to do with that. And uh, I had felonies, so didn't nobody want to hire me. Doors was being shut in my face. And so for, for a long time, I just felt like I was unworthy. I wasn't qualified, you know. I, I needed to get an education. I needed to have a master's degree in order to do something positive. So that, that prison right there, that became a, what, I, what I come to realize that I created a self-imposed, self-created prison around my own self that I'm not worthy. And I lived in that prison. And with all the things I had done over the past 20 years since I've been out, I've talked to many young people, started programs, I'm a serial entrepreneur, I've had my own companies. But still, with all of that, I still felt 
you ain't qualified enough. You're not worthy enough. And it, it was always something that held me back and restricted me to only go so far like prison. So I was going a little bit, but when I get to the barbed wire gate in my own mind, I would stop and go back. So I, none of the business was able to scale because I was in prison and I never realized that I was in prison. I went so far and it was good. I came across some barbed wire fence. I turned back around. It's such an interesting analogy because when, when you say that, I think a lot of us listening kind of can feel that we, we do that to ourselves, right? No matter what our background is, no matter where we're from, we put self-imposed boundaries on who we can be. Right. And, but a lot of times I think what's worse than that, we don't see it, right? We don't even know it. You had boundaries, physical boundaries. I mean, you had fences. And so you, when you see those boundaries, you can do it, but most people don't see the boundaries they put on themselves. What message do you have to, to those of us that our business only gets to whether it's a hundred thousand, 500,000, a million, 10 million, and we're stuck because we can't see ultimate success. What advice do you have to people to, how do they identify that they're doing that to themselves? Yes, you know, you look at yourself, you know, just like prison. Um, so myself, with all the companies that, that I was starting, and I was always starting some because I was very innovative and, and just had a lot of drive. And uh, I always wanted to do something and I, I was forced to be an entrepreneur because it was rough, didn't nobody want to hire you. You was young, you had a lot of felonies. I had no work experience. I went to prison from high school. So I, you look at my resume, I couldn't say I worked here, 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 here. I mean, I can say I worked in the prison kitchen or something like that. I, I washed dishes, I mopped the floor. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't have no other experience. So to a degree, it, it kind of forced me into entrepreneurship. And most people who come from that experience, it forced me into illegal entrepreneurship on the other side of the road. So yeah. I didn't want to go back down that road right there. I was having children. and Plus, I was just growing as a human being and as a man. So I chose the legal route, you know. But every time I got to a certain point, and I didn't realize, it, it took me many years to realize that, man, you're in prison. Like, I mean, like, you are still in It took me a long time. But I had to look back on it. So we were talking like, before, the, before the car. Let me give you some examples. Um, how I had to realize that I had to, I had to be prepared. And it came from psychological preparation. Um, with accepting myself, my own gifts, skills, and talents, and what um, value I had to bring to the marketplace, to the community. I had to really accept that and hone in on that. But there was a time when I was not prepared. Opportunity was coming, but I wasn't prepared. I'm gonna give you like just a, a, a small example. I started a youth program when I first came home in one of the worst high schools in the city of St. Louis at the time. It was Beaumont High School. And um, because of that, I was able to speak at a, at a conference for, for young people uh, in East St. Louis, at the Jackie Joyner Center in East St. Louis. And it was like six people on the panelists plus myself. And as they was announcing all of the panelists, the, the MC was talking about where they had traveled to, what kind of degree they have, their level of education. And I didn't have none of that. So every time he announced somebody, I shrunk. I'm like, man, in my mind, like I shouldn't be up here with these people. I should be on listening to these people. I hadn't been no further in Chicago at the time. I hadn't traveled nowhere. I don't have no education and I didn't have nothing, but I was up on the panel with them. Now, the, the peculiar part was it was though when it came time to presenting to the young people, presenting we had to present like a little five, seven minute message. Oh man, I mean like hands down, we like rocked that place, right? And um, <laughs> when it came down for question to answer, probably 80% of the questions was geared towards me. 
where the moderator had to say, hey, look, we got six other panelists up here that you all can question. <laughs> and one of the young guys said this, he said, but that's the only real one up there. Now, two things happened to me at that point when I was up on that stage. For one, it planted in my mind that, that really, like, like, really brought to the forefront of my mind that you can bring some value, man, like, like with your experience. But for two, this is what I told, I told the young guy this. I said, I know you think I'm real because I told you that my mother was a hustler and uh, she, she, she hustled drugs at one time. Then she got hooked on drugs before she passed away. I didn't know my father until I was 14 years old. When I met him, he was shooting drugs. Um, I come up in a rough area. I've been in juvenile, drug rehab, prison at a very young age. And I say, I know you think that that makes me real. I say, but I don't want you or none of these young people to think that my proximity to hardship authenticates me because they don't. I know a whole lot of people that have gone through horrible situations, but they're not real. They don't make them real and nothing like that. And, and it was two guys on that stage that I knew that was counselors and they was therapists. I worked with them in other uh, uh, activities in the community. And I say, some of these guys I know, they never stole, sold drugs, they never carried guns, they never smoked drugs, they didn't steal cars, none of that. They, they didn't live no thug life, but they got a heart bigger than the universe and they would give the shirt off their back for any young person in this room, these are some real guys to me. They real to me. So I don't want you to think because I come from that, that it authenticates me and make me real. So it began to like expand my mind. Now at that conference, it was a guy who was in the audience who was a philanthropist. And he worked with the Danforth Foundation. His, his cousin was like Senator, former Senator Danforth. And so he came to me um, and he said, um, I really like your presentation. Uh, I would like to sit down and schedule a meeting with you. So I scheduled a meeting with the guy and um, he, he, he say, look, um, we give money to youth programs. Now at the time, I, I worked for a nonprofit, but I was up under, like creating my program up under a nonprofit that I was working with. So he said, I want my people to get with your people. Now my lawyers get with your lawyers. And um, you know, we're gonna work out, make sure you got your 501c3. I'm looking at him like a 501c, what? I didn't even, I had no clue what he was talking about. I said, what's a 501c3? And he looking at me like, you don't have a 501c3? I said, no, I said, no, sir. And what is that? And he looked like he was disappointed. Cause he like, well, you know, we can't give you money because that's, that's how they get the tax write off with the 501c3 status, right? I'm like, all right, I didn't have a clue what he was talking about. So opportunity came to me, but I was not prepared at that time business-wise. And that, that put, so my work created opportunities, but the business infrastructure was not in place for me to take advantage of those opportunities. And that happened a couple of more times in my life before I started realizing like, you gotta get the business infrastructure together, your paperwork, your, your, your legal structure. Uh, Cause I didn't do none of that. I just went out and just started doing things and you know, had the heart to go do it and make money the way I was making money, but it wasn't no business infrastructure to really take, you know, to, to, to uphold it, you know? Well, that's the life of a true entrepreneur. We do first and figure out what we were supposed to do second. Right. right. <laughs> and so, so once you learned that you needed to have, you know, a structure and an entity and all of the things to actually build a business around the, what you were speaking on, the good that you were doing, when did it mentally become a business versus a passion project? Right. Because speaking became a passion project and helping other people and speaking to people, the at-risk youth and other groups you were talking to, that was passionate and you made a little bit of money along the way. When did it really turn into a business for you where you're like, all right, time to step back, do all the things I was just told to do and run this like the Gazi Corporation? Right. So actually, that, that was relatively recent. 
uh, within the last several years. Um, so I've had a hauling company that back in, in, in the days where I had dump trucks and everybody that I hired for light hauling, they were either ex-gang members or ex-cons. So you would come to our company and on the application, they say, have you ever been convicted of a felony? If you put no, we're going to say, don't call us, we're going to call you. You know, <laughs> but if you make a bigger felony, because I want to give opportunities to people who couldn't get opportunities pretty much nowhere else for the most part. So at a point, we got to eight employees and uh, full-time and a lot of part-time employees, depending on the kind of job that we had. And um, from, that, from, from that point right there, I created other businesses. But recently, um, I was, we were talking about Dr. Ruben West. When he came, it's Dr. Ruben West, um, he came into Arizona several years ago and he was speaking at a, at a conference. And it's funny, the conference he was speaking at, it's, I, I wasn't going to attend this conference, right? They, I received an a, a email from an organization that was a women's empowerment organization. It's like a group, the Sisterhood Extravaganza. They sent me an email. I, I just thought maybe it was a mistake or it was spam or something, so I just deleted the email, you know? And the night before the conference, I received a phone call. And um, they asked me, they say, um, would you be attending a conference tomorrow? I say, what conference? They say, well, we sent you an email a few weeks back. Um, we are honoring 21 men in the community who's making a difference in their community and the world. And you wanted the honorees. I say, for real? I can not believe it. <laughs> so I say, I say, well, excuse me, ma'am, I accidentally deleted the email. Can you resend this email to me? She sent the email to me again. I looked at it. I read the entire email this time. And I, this was Friday. I'm blown away. I'm like, man, tomorrow, and to, the conference tomorrow. It was in the Biltmore area. So I say, okay, I'm going. I go to the conference, and you know, they gave me a little plaque and thing with, with 21 other like men who were like community leaders, like um, business owners, entrepreneurs, and things like that. And it was 21 of us, and they, had, they gave a nice luncheon for us. And after it was over, Dr. West had gave the keynote address there. When it was over, he asked me, uh, he and I were talking, and he asked me, he said, um, who's your ideal client? And at the time, I, I mean, I, I say, man, thugs, like ex-gang members and people from prison and people who live the rough life. Like, that's my client right there. And so our conversation went really well. You know, we really jailed with each other. And the next day, he called me Sunday morning. He said, look, I'm having a conference in um, Charlotte, North Carolina, and I want you to attend this conference. It was a speaker's conference, teaching you about the, the, the business side of, of speaking. So I said, oh, I'm not, because I really want to take my business to a whole nother level. So I said, okay, I'm not. I go to the conference, and it met some of the, the strangest thing happened. I'm, I'm just, I'm probably rambling a lot, but I just want to tell you the story here. When, when I went to the conference, I didn't even have all the money to get that, right? Because there's $1,000 to attend the conference. I say, well, man, I ain't got $1,000, man. Uh, at the time, I, I was married to my ex-wife, and we had eight children. And my teenage children was um, working at McDonald's, and one was at Little Caesar Pizza, and one was at Walmart, and one worked for Amazon. And um, But I was really enthusiastic about going to this conference. So my children and came to me, and they said, well, Pops, I can help you get your plane ticket. And one of my sons said, I can help you get your hotel. And another son said, I can help you get your rental car. So my children pitched in their money to help me get that, right? When I get there, it was a three-day conference. I didn't have no money in my pocket. I was going to fast for three days. But I had to be there because I, I thought, I believed it was the time to help take my speaking business to another level. Because all them years, I had always been speaking. But I've had other businesses that support my family. But I always was speaking in schools, volunteering my time. It was a passion of mine. 
So I really wanted to be at this conference. Now, when I get to the conference, several things happened that, that, that was really mind-blowing mind to me. I didn't tell nobody I didn't have no money and nothing like that. I, I didn't know if it was going to be food there or nothing. I was just going to starve. I got I had my hotel. I was going to eat some little crackers from the hotel if I was going to eat. <laughs> but I just wanted to be there at the conference. And doing some of the breakout sessions, I'm, I'm talking and putting my two cents in, adding to the conversation. And there was a, a husband and wife. To this day, I, I don't know their name. If I seen them, I wouldn't know how they look or nothing. But they came up to me after one of the breakout sessions, and they say, look, they say, young man, we don't know you, but God put it on our heart to give you something. And the lady reached in her purse and put out a $100 bill, you hear me? I was blown away. I'm looking at her like, I look at the money, I'm, I'm, I'm just stunned. That's why I don't, I don't know how they look, because I look at the money, because my pockets was on E. My stomach was on E. And I'm talking about, <laughs> I didn't say nothing about I was broke or none of that. And I'm like, they can just give me a $100 bill? I was blown away. And because of the way I was interacting in the workshops, Dr. Ruben West came to me on the last day of the conference, and he said that, um, you know, my staff really um, likes your energy, and, and they say you have a lot of good things to say and a lot of the, the breakout sessions and, and, and things. Do you mind sharing a few minutes from the stage? I said, you going to let me speak from the stage? And he said, uh, he said, are you ready? I said, man, I was born ready for this, you know? And he <laughs> let me get up on that stage in three minutes. It was like a standing ovation. And I was so humbled and blown away by that. They, and I, I, I was so, I, I was just outdone. It was just impromptu. I just came from the heart, shared a three-minute message. And he said to me afterwards, he said that when I was in Phoenix, I asked you who your ideal client was. You told me your idea and client was ex-cons and gang members and things like that. He said, but I want you to look around this room. These are not ex-cons. He said, these are not gang members. These are six multiple six-figure and seven-figure earners. These are entrepreneurs, and your message resonated in this crowd. He said, quit limiting yourself because your message can transcend platforms. That was like two, a little bit over two and a half years ago. And he was the first one to put that in my mind, like, wow, you mean I can talk more than just people in juvenile and prisons, and I, I can do more than that than, than bad children? I had no clue. Uh, but all the lessons that I was learning over the years, it makes sense now because I learned a lot of hard lessons now that I can translate to people, entrepreneurs, and things like that, you know? But it was just two years ago, he started turning. And from that point on, from that point to now, as I come up with alliances, then I did, I did a lot of training, speaking classes, all kind of training to get my, the business infrastructure in place, you know? I, I love it. And, and those of you, obviously, there are some of you on YouTube that are going to see that, that just like the smile on my face as he's telling that story and how that happened. But as you're all listening, like all the nuggets he just gave there. So, uh, he didn't have the money to go to the conference, but he knew from a, a life standpoint and from an opportunity standpoint, he just had to be there. He had to be there. And he figured out a way. And as entrepreneurs, we always figure out a way. And then he met some people and they, it, his story resonated and he found a new voice and a new audience. All of those things, everything he just said is so important to a business owner. This is Ghazi Mohammed on the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast. I'm your host, Adam Kipnis. We're going to get more to what he's talking about. Um, in one second, if you go to, um, if you want to win the trip from powertexting.com, totally weird sort of transition right there, but I've got to get it in there because power texting people are good to me. Go to uh, podcasttrip.com and you will win a free trip from them. Um, they're amazing people. So getting back to it, um, Ghazi, so you, 
So you have this sort of epiphany moment in your business, which happened to be at a conference, you're on stage and all of a sudden you're like, wow, there's so much more available to me than I ever thought possible. But you still kept yourself in a little bit of box. How did you take that moment where there was more there, but also holding yourself mentally back of like, nah, that's not really true. Right. How did you make those things come together, collide, and come out on the other side where now you speak all over the country and people pay you to fly and speak to their audiences where before you had, you had to have your kids help you get to places just to attend? How did right. that happen? Because that's something most people think will never happen for them. Well, you know, I um, kind of got, out, got outside of my comfort zone and I started doing new things, things that I, that I would have never done probably prior to that. I started um, go, going into to different kind of conferences, um, meeting new people, networking with new people, people that I would have looked at like, man, they, they worlds apart from my world. You know, I mean, I sat down with people with hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, nothing about our lifestyle connects on no level. We come from, you know, I had one guy who was a, um, he helped um, Donald Trump when he, the, the businessman, not the president, the, the businessman, when yep. he had his school, a business school, this guy helped develop his curriculum. And he and I met once and uh, he, 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 heard, he heard me talking and he and I had lunch. And he said, man, nothing about our world would ever collide. Like you, y'all, you from prison, you from the streets. And he a very successful businessman. And, um, but he said something about you now that puts us in the same place. So what I started doing was getting outside of my comfort zone. And I remember when, um, I got outside my comfort zone and started and stopped just going to prisons and going to juveniles and things like that. And I really start then start um, looking at colleges. You know, now I want to talk to college students now. And I remember here in uh, Arizona, um, uh, Glendale Community College. This was the first school that that, that paid me a, a little money, and I was blown away. And a professor heard me talking. I, I was volunteering some time at, at 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 an event that was totally unlike the events I was used to being with us gang members and drug dealers and stuff like that. And she heard me talk and she came to me and she said, you know, um, um, we have a, a speaking engagement that's a, a paid speaking. She said, it's a small speaking engagement. There were about 75 people there and, um, you know, but, but, but it's paid. I'm like, you gonna pay me to speak? I'm like, yes, I'm done. So <laughs> I, I go there and I spoke for 45 minutes and they gave me a $500 check, you know? And I remember looking at that check and I'm like, I've been speaking for 30 years, like free. I'm like, blown away. <laughs> I'm like, you've been to pay me to speak? I was just blown away. And that $500 opened my mind up. Like, then I met people saying they're getting $5,000 and $10,000. I'm like, to speak? Are you serious? I had no clue. I didn't think that um, I, I was qualified. So I'm going to tell you, it, it's, it's something that, that took place. Um, after the conference from Charlotte, I got back to uh, Phoenix and I called Dr. West just to thank him for that experience because it really impacted my mind and opened my, expanded my thinking. And he said, hold on for a minute. He clicked over. I thought he had another call. When they came back to the phone, I heard a voice that said, is this Gazi? I said, yeah, is this Gazi? He said, this Les Brown. I said, Les Brown? I was on the phone. I'm like, Manny Brown, baby boy, <laughs> Les Brown. <laughs> so when I was in prison, if we had one VHS tape of Les Brown, I used to listen to it over and over again in the prison library because that was the only motivation speaking tape we had. We had Les Brown and we had a couple from Zig Ziglar, and that was it. Zig Ziglar and Les Brown in prison, in the library. And I used to hear their tapes over and over again. 
And um, he and I, uh, you know, we talked for a long time. He said a lot of encouraging words to him. This gave me all kind of, you know, good advice on, on business, the business of speaking. And it kind of opened my mind from there because I started getting out. I became unafraid to get outside of my comfort zone. You know, that's when it really opened, opened up. I became unafraid and, and started believing in myself and the value that I can bring to the market um, and not limiting that. Because at first I was saying, I was looking at all the bad things about me. You know, uh, you know, you teenage mother, you know, didn't know your father. This, I looked at all the bad things. But when I shifted my consciousness and started looking at the good things. So um, I wrote a book. I self-published a book, Straight Up 17 Lessons on Living Authentically, a few years ago. And at the book signing, we had like maybe 115 people at the book signing. And I said something that, that people always remember. I say I had to shift my consciousness and my perception of myself. So at first, I used to look at myself like I was the son of drug addicts. And um, I was the son of a father who didn't really care for his children when, when, when I was growing up. I say, but now I shift in my mind, I'm not the victim no more. So I don't look at myself as the son of a drug dealer. I look at my mother as the mother of an accomplished author, of an international speaker, of an impactor and an empower. I don't look at my father as, as a derelict father. I look at him as the father of a son who looked at him and learned from his mistakes. And when I started having children, I was extreme in my children's life, very fatherly to my children. So I just had to shift my thinking and my perception of self to make me start believing in myself and take take them prisons of disbelief and doubt. I had to tear them walls down and really start believing in myself. And when I got to that point right there, it was the stratosphere. It was on at that point. I I mean, I, I do a lot of these episodes. I'm on like episode 100 right now. I don't actually know how to follow that up. That's just so, so powerful in shifting your thinking that it's it's not about what's been done to you. It's been how you can have an effect on other other things, other people, other places in the world. So it's not about what your parents did to you. It's what you've done that other people are now part of. Right. Right. And I'm sort of at a loss for words, but I'm going to keep rolling with it because but, but I think I that's say, such an important thing. Yeah, right? go, go, go. Let, let me say, so, so, so what I did with this, and this is a lesson that I teach. So remember I was saying like, so you can have your, if you, if you was baking bread, you know, you can have your honey, your wheat, your, your dough, your flour, your water. You can have all that. But the, the, the element that makes the, the bread rise is the yeast. And what I started learning was that in every experience, good, bad, ugly, or indifferent, inherent in that experience is a valuable lesson. And if we can get the lesson from the experience, it can be a horrific experience. It can be a painful experience. I don't care what kind of experience it is. It's a lesson in that experience. And you can get the lesson. It's a lesson that catapults your life to another level. It's the lesson to take you to another level. And one example I always have to use, especially when I talk to educators, is just because I experienced kindergarten, because I was always taught that experience itself is the best teacher. Well, I challenge proverbial wisdom, and I say experience itself is not the best teacher, but in every experience there is a lesson. Because I know people that experience the same thing over and over again with drugs. Every time they experience it, they hit rock bottom bad relationships, poor choices. They go through the same thing over and over and over and over again. They change when they get the lesson, when they learn the lesson. So I tell people, just because I experienced kindergarten, I went to recess, I played with my friends, I went on a field trip, I went to music class, art class, gym class. That don't take me to the first grade. But once I learned the lessons of kindergarten, that take me to the first grade. That's just how it is in life. 
When you learn a lesson from these experiences, the lessons catapult us to a whole other level. So now, the way my mind is wired now, I don't care what kind of experience that I, I, I go through. You know, I went through a divorce while I'm getting remarried, but the boy, and a guy asked me, say, are you bitter? I said, no. I said, do you know what I learned from that? You know what kind of human being that made me? Man, I love that experience. And it, it, it makes me not be bitter towards my ex-wife at all because of what I learned that, that helped forge a, a stronger character in me and make me a different kind of human being. Cause like, you know the lessons I learned from that? Man, I love that experience right there. Cause I learned so much that make me a better human being that took my life to another level. So I kind of look at all the experiences like that now, no matter what I go through, I look for the lesson, not the pain, not the profit, none of that, the lesson. What's the lesson in this? You know, what am I to learn from this that can help me grow into a better human being? It's amazing. It's amazing. You were telling us the other day that if you, a lot of people live in a world where they're filled with fear and they're full of excuses and they think they're a loser and you're going to have to help me with the O. Yeah, um, obstacles. Obstacles. Negative and negative thinking. And you go to a world of, give me the first F. Right, faith. Faith and, and experiences and excellence mm -hmm. and lessons and yeah. opportunity and a new mind, a new mind, right? right? So changing those letters from one to the other is what we need to do. But most people are on that sort of right side. They're, they're full of fear. They don't want to go out there and, and speak or, or try something different or do a Facebook live or do a podcast or go to a network because they're, they're not good enough. And they make excuses for why they're not successful. And you've, in your mind, because of your experiences and because of the benefit of those experiences, now look on sort of the positive side of each of those letters. So for, for people out there who are listening, they may not resonate with the fact that, that you were in prison, that you had a, a rough life. They may even resent you a little bit because you were, you know, you're a bad person and I don't want to, I can't learn from someone who broke the law, but they'll get over that. <laughs> but how did, how did you transfer and what's one thing they can do to do the same? Like you change your mindset, not just from reading, not just from the guidance you got, not just from someone putting you on stage, but something inside of you said, you know what? I'm different than I was. And what's one thing people can do to start going down that process for themselves in their own business, to go from no one's coming in, my marketing's not working, to, oh, here's how my marketing can work. Right. Talk about that mindset a little bit. Well, you know, I, you know it comes down to like, like really um, accepting truth, you know, um, and, and I'm defining the truth as things as they currently are, because truth is, is changing, you know. Yesterday I was 47. Today I'm 48. You know, truth. You know, truth changes, right? Um, some most truths change. So you know, come down to accepting truth. For for many years, I lived in my ego. I lived in where I wanted to be. You know, I was this entrepreneur. I'm, I'm a businessman. I want to do this. And man, like I didn't have the infrastructure. I didn't have the business. I didn't have none of that to to sustain that and to grow that. My desire was there. But I didn't have all my um, all my eyes wasn't dotted, all my T's wasn't crossed, and and some of it I just didn't know. So really, with me, it, it came down to humbling myself and really seeking and, and really listening to the people who know. Because sometimes as entrepreneurs, we can be kind of arrogant, especially if we're making money already. You, you know, it, it can it's just kind of arrogant. 
I've heard an entrepreneur tell me, not, not knowing nothing about me, he's making money. And, you know, we was in the meeting and he said, he said, it ain't nothing that you can teach me. I was blown away. I say, hello, you, you mean tell me there's absolutely nothing I can teach you? Like, nothing <laughs> I can teach you? I, I just was like, that level of arrogance because he's making money, he appeared to be successful and things like that, right? And I looked at it, I said, wow, man, that's, I mean, I would never take that stand because I can learn from an ant. I can learn from a drug, I can learn from a bum. I can learn, I, I can learn I'm looking for lessons, right? And so with that, I'm saying like, sometimes, you know, we get to a point, especially if we start making a little money, we start thinking that we've arrived. And when we, we think we've arrived, we reach a plateau. With me, I've never thought that I've arrived. I'm always striving for something better. I, I believe it's something better. So I tell myself that not even the sky is the limit. So even if, if I'm in the sky, the sky is not even the limit for me. It gotta be something better. It gotta be something more progressive. And to me, that's consistent with like the life principle. It's always growing, always evolving, always changing and things like this. M many entrepreneurs that I know, when they reach a certain level, they get into a comfort zone. I'm making a little money, I'm comfortable now. And man, with me, I'm always hungry, not just for money and like that, but for new opportunities, and learning new things and meeting new people and things like that, you know? So I've always opened my mind to expansion. And, and believing that within myself. And because I think like that within myself, it translates into my business. As I expand, my business expands because I change and I grow and my business change and grow. I think that is an amazing way to think, an amazing way to live, and a great way to end this interview. You are such an amazing person and what you just brought to me in this last 30 minutes and hopefully everybody else. Ghazi Muhammad, thank you for being here. Thanks for what you do. And um, just thanks for taking the time and dropping some knowledge on us. I appreciate it. Man, thank you, Adam. I really appreciate you. And uh, you know, looking forward to seeing you in the future, maybe soon. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully we see each other soon. I know we'll do it in a month. But other than that, everybody, thanks for being uh, here listening to the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast. Ghazi Muhammad, GhaziSpeaks.com. Adam Kipnis, you can go to Coach Adam Kipnis on Facebook or at Adam Kipnis on Instagram. Look forward to having you on the next episode. Thank you. You've been listening to The Entrepreneur's MBA. Download Adam's free book, How to Make More Money in Your Business at www.freebookfromadam.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.